we've got a guest speaker that I get the privilege of announcing or introducing you to this morning. Uh, Mark Hosfeld is with us, Dr. Mark Hosfeld. He's got a BA from Evangel University. I want you to know I'm reading from notes because this guy has done so much for our movement that as I was researching, I literally had to type it out. I've never had a guest speaker who has done so much and accomplished so much for God's kingdom. And uh, so I literally had to write it out this morning. But he's got a, a BA from Evangel University. We're gonna forgive him for that. I'm <laughs> no, just teasing, just teasing. He's got an MDiv from the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. He's got a doctorate of ministry uh, in urban missions from Northern Theological Seminary. And he's got more than 30 years of pastoral and missionary experience, both in the United States and abroad. And he's passionate, very, very passionate. I know this because I have been in his classes. Passionate about evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. His primary focus today is empowering the church locally and globally to be informed, trained, and equipped to engage and reach Muslim people who have come to the West as immigrants, migrants, and refugees who God has brought from the ends of the earth to our Jerusalems. Listen to his mantra, it's missions is not where, but whom. Have you heard that before? <laughs> I love it. He served as the president of the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary at Evangel University. Uh, he's also served as a professor. He currently serves as an adjunct professor of urban and Islamic studies at our seminary. He also teaches at Trinity uh, Bible College and graduate school. And he started and directed the Seminary Center for Islamic Studies in 2008. And he continues, like I said, to serve as a professor at many of our different schools. He served as an international director of Global Initiative, reaching Muslim peoples. And as a director, he collaborated with national churches around the world, Assemblies of God World Mission Regions, and local churches in the United States to equip and mobilize them to reach Muslims everywhere. When he was Assemblies of God fully appointed missionary, he served in the Islamic Republic of Pakistan. During that time, they started a teen challenge in Pakistan and assisted in two indigenous church plants. He also served as an area director for, for Central Eurasia. That means he kind of served as the pastoral care, uh, oversaw pastoral care and um, strategic consultation and administrative administration for missionaries and national leaders in the region's 10 Muslim majority countries. At the heart of the 1040 window, the least reached area of our world. Prior to becoming an Assemblies of God World missionary, Mark pioneered and pastored an inner city multicultural church on the south side of Chicago for 10 years. He also served as an associate pastor in the great state of Ohio, in Dayton, Ohio, at Christian Life Center. And he's got a beautiful wife, Linda, who's not with him today. And they have three children, both daughters and son are married. And the daughters each have two sons and one has a daughter. All of their children and spouses are followers of Jesus Christ. That's his biggest legacy. And now the personal part, he's done all of that and he's also ministered incredibly to your pastor. I sat under his uh, teaching while I was at the seminary, uh, I think it was 2008, because I went moved back to Springfield to convince Liz to marry me. And while I was doing that, I had to have an excuse to be living in Springfield. So I enrolled at the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary and sat under his teaching. He was the first, and I kept this paper. I wrote a paper, it meant so much to me, not the paper, <laughs> but the comments on the paper. Dr. Mark Hosfeld was one of the very first professors 
This is pretty sad. It shows you where I was academically. He was one of the very first professors to ever write a really encouraging remark on my paper. And uh, I kept it. It meant that much to me, but this is who he is. He's an encourager, and he he just comes alongside anybody and makes you think... uh, if you're partnering with God, you can accomplish anything and do anything for God. One of the first professors to believe in me, and I value that so much. And he has no idea how much he has impacted the world, but especially through the students that he's been a part of their lives. So would you please put your hands together and welcome Dr. Mark Hosfeld. Thank you, Pastor. Really, it's an honor to be here. Good morning, everyone. I've come to realize that when you have a a long resume, you're just old. And I'm 65, and inside I still feel like I'm 18. And it's been wonderful to look over life and just to experience all the great things that God gives. And in this last third of life, to realize that this is the best yet, because grandchildren are now in the picture. That... uh, Resume information is a little bit old because we just had another grandson added two months ago. And so we now have six grandchildren. Our two daughters live in Springfield with their husbands. And then our son Carl and his wife, he just got out of special ops in the military. And he was serving in places that we never knew where he was serving and doing things we didn't know what he was doing. But his wife finished her Ph.D. and they decided to go to Zurich, Switzerland, where she received a teaching position. She's teaching at the University of Zurich. And he decided to get out of the military, and he's there now pursuing his uh, master's degree on the GI Bill. And it's exciting to see your kids do well, because uh, I always say that you know you're a successful parent when your child buys you lunch or supper and they have a mortgage. That is success. (laughs) And, of course, serving Jesus. Well, those children have traveled with us all over the world, and I wish Linda could be here today, but she leaves in just a few days for Papua New Guinea. She leads Say Hello Serving Muslim Women with Assemblies of God World Missions. And so she is the missionary, and I'm classified as the working spouse. And she is going to be leaving and doing training with her team with the Papua New Guinea Assemblies of God and training them how to engage and reach Muslims, particularly how to reach Muslim women, because That's what Say Hello is all about. Say Hello is serving Muslim women. So her team travels all over the states, all over the world to equip and mobilize women in the church to engage Muslim women in their localities where they live as well. And so she sends you her greetings today. She wished she could be here uh, with me, but just with getting ready for that trip and all that needs to go into that, she's not here today. It is an honor to be here. And I am a born and bred Buckeye. I was born at St. Elizabeth Hospital in Dayton, Ohio. So I've been following the Reds all these years. Remember the great Red Machine well? And started following the Bengals, shifted from the Browns in 1968 when I was 10 years old. Uh, So I'm not a fair-weather friend to the Bengals. I've been following the Bengals through the best of times and and the worst of times. And I'm going to pray for tomorrow night we start leaning more into the best of times again against the Rams. We're not here to talk about sports and family necessarily. We're here to talk about the family of God and our engagement in the world as the people of God. I really am passionate about seeing the church mobilized to reach all who were lost. And the last 30 years of our lives have been focused on Muslim people and before that urban and still it's urban and it's still Muslim peoples. But we also want to see Buddhists, Hindus, 
besides Muslims and secular humanists come to know Jesus. And I think an important part of that is for us to have an understanding of what the text of Scripture says to us about who we are to be and what we are to do. And the book of Acts, to me, just isn't a segment of the first hundred years of the church that we look about and wow, what great stories took place then. And didn't God do great things? Look at the signs and wonders and miracles that took place. Look at the boldness of the early church in sharing the gospel with the unreached that were in their midst. And at that time, everybody was unreached, whether they were Jew or Gentile. But here we see the early church living out in 28 chapters what we are to be and do today. Because the Bible is timeless. It goes across all cultures. It knows no limit to language. And so what works in the Congo or what works in Malaysia or what works in Pakistan works in Fairfield, Ohio as well. And God wants us to grasp his word and take his word and actualize it in our lives as the people of God. Because I can tell you this, as a former pastor in the city of Chicago and then missionary, and I still consider myself a missionary, none of those gifts of the Holy Spirit have gone away. But I know that if we leave the reaching of the world to pastors and to missionaries, this world is never going to be reached. The way this world is going to be reached, and I know you hear it from this pulpit, but it's going to be reached through you engaging the lost in the marketplace where you live. And I love Acts chapters 3 and 4. And I just want to do a bit of an overview, but I want to zero in this morning in on the believer's prayer in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. But let's have a setup to this chapter, and let's allow ourselves to hear what the Word of God is saying to us this morning. But before we do that, let's pray, and let's ask God to give us ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as the church. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful day, this Sunday, the day in which we celebrate your resurrection from the dead. We don't really recognize that you rose from the dead, but you conquered death, hell, and the grave. When we partake of communion, celebrating your broken body and your shed blood, we not only remember the salvation that we have in our lives that you purchased for us, that you paid for in full. But we also remember that you conquered the tomb, that you are Christ victorious, and that we are to live and move and have our being as a victorious people. So, Father, I pray this morning that you will give us all ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as your church. I pray, Lord, that you would enable us and empower us to take the word that we're going to hear today and to pray it because you've given us a great prayer to pray in your word. And that, Lord, we would take that prayer into every facet of our lives, with our family, with our friends, into the marketplace with strangers, with all peoples, no matter whom they are, because missions is not where but whom. And the mission field surrounds us. So, Lord, actualize us as this body of believers, New Heights Church, to take your good news and the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen. Now, I love this passage, and 
Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And the habit of Jews at that time was to go to the temple and pray if they lived around that area at 9 a.m., noon, and 3 o'clock. And Peter and John, though they're New Testament believers now, they're following Jesus, they go to the temple to pray. And as they walk through this gate that's called the beautiful gate, it's the busiest part of the temple area. It connects the court of where the women met with the court of the Gentiles, with the court of the nations. And as they pass through the beautiful gate, they're laying down as a man who's been lame for 40 years. And as they pass by this man, this man looks up at Peter and John and begs them to give him some money. And Peter and John look down at the man. Now, I thought to myself, how many times did Jesus walk through the beautiful gate passing by this man, but he didn't heal him. No doubt that he did. But like Ecclesiastes says to us, there's a proper time and procedure for every matter. So today is the day in this text for this lame man to receive from God what God wants to give to him. And Peter and John look down at the man, and Peter says to him, silver and gold I, I do not have. But in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And it says that they took the man and they lifted him up and that he began to run, he began to leap, he began to praise God in the busiest part of the temple at that time. I reminded of a quote when St. Thomas Aquinas and a friend were walking into the Vatican. As they walked into the Vatican, the man and this is in the 13th century, says to Thomas Aquinas, as they look at the splendor of the Vatican, the man says to Thomas Aquinas, well, no more can it be said, silver and gold have I none. And St. Thomas Aquinas looked at the man and said, yes, but neither are we saying in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. We are a people that are not filled with opulence and splendor around about us to identify who we are. When we look to the text of Scripture and realize that the text of Scripture calls us that place to that normative place that is to be a way of life for us as Christ followers. And just because Peter and John are apostles, it doesn't mean that it's exclusively for the apostles to move in the power of the Spirit to see healing come into this man's life. This is given to the entire church by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter and John raise a ruckus, and there's something the Romans could not stand was a ruckus in the public places and so they are arrested by the Sanhedrin. They appear before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin says to them, we forbid you to say anything else in the name of this man, Jesus. And what do Peter and John tell them? Sorry, we're not going to go that direction. Because we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And that's our modus operandi. We are so full of Jesus. We have so experienced him that his experience doesn't stop with where we are just for ourselves. But the experiences that Jesus gives us in him are experiences where we can also say we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And that's tough in our world today. Because we have our own Sanhedrins out there, whether they be religious or governmental, that say to us, you cannot speak or say this in the name of Jesus. You can't continue this teaching. And I believe many times when we have that kind of opposition come against us, 
we often feel a sense of pushback towards those who come against us. When rather Jesus would have us to embrace them. Not their ideologies, not their belief systems, but to embrace them as the Imago Dei, as people made in the image of God. That we can fulfill the Missio Dei, the mission of God to proclaim Jesus Christ to them and the power of the Holy Spirit, as you see Peter in chapter 3 do. Lynn and I served, as Pastor mentioned, as area directors for Central Eurasia. We were living in Pakistan during 9-11. Our house was just 200 miles away from the Al-Qaeda base. That's what Al-Qaeda means, the base in Arabic. And we were 200 miles away, and when 9-11 took place, we knew immediately where the trouble would come back to. It would come back to that area of coast Afghanistan that the Taliban had controlled and now control again where Al-Qaeda was based. And I was in the United States because when 9-11 took place, our leadership made us evacuate. And so we came back to the United States. Six months later, uh, we still can't get back into, Afga- back into Pakistan. And so I'm preaching at a lot of different churches and sharing and so forth. And one morning as I'm getting ready to go to Plainfield, Illinois to preach, the phone rings and it's my colleague from Teen Challenge. And he's in Florida. And he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting ready to preach. He said, well, turn on the news. They bombed our church. And so I go to the television, I turn on CNN, and right in front of me is the front of our church in Islamabad, Pakistan. And what had happened is that two Al-Qaeda terrorists had walked into the sanctuary during worship, and each had six Russian-made hand grenades, and one of the terrorists had an explosive vest on, and they yelled out, Allah Akbar, God is great. And the unpinned those hand grenades and lobbed them into the congregation. Three of the six hand grenades exploded, and the other three fortunately did not. But the church was full that morning, and 85 people were wounded. Some still suffering wounds to this day. Four of our congregation were killed. One, a young Afghan man who was a Muslim who received Jesus, a young Pakistani teenage girl who had just been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then a woman and her daughter from the American embassy, uh, and the daughter was a close friend of our daughter, Kara. They went to school together, and this girl had been in our homes many times. When I watched what was happening on the news, I looked at my wife. I said, Linda, I've got to get back to Pakistan right now. We've got to start member care in this church. And so I said, just get me tickets back to Pakistan as fast as I can get back. I don't care what airline, I don't care how much it costs, just get me back. And so I called the pastor, I told him what happened. He says, we'll just reschedule, go. And so I started downstairs to get my suitcase. We were living in missionary and residence housing in Oak Brook, Illinois. And as I went down those stairs, rage just began to build up in me. I mean, rage that I hadn't felt (laughs) towards Muslims, towards anyone, since before I was a Christian. And I was so angry, I stopped in the middle of the stairs, and if this offends some, my apologies ahead of time, but this is the rage I was feeling. I stopped halfway down those stairs to get my suitcase, and I said, those dirty bastards. I mean, I was just so mad that they would bomb our church. And then the Lord really threw a wet blanket on my anger. (laughs) 
as I went down those stairs and I stood there, I felt the finger of God right in the sternum of my chest. And Jesus said to me, I died for those terrorists. <laughs> and I simply said, literally, yes, Lord, you did. I had no kumbaya moment. I had no warm fuzzies come over me, no goosebumps. That's always a sign of the Holy Spirit, right? And I went down, got my luggage, I packed, I went to O'Hare, and I flew back to Pakistan. Why share that story? I believe as Christians, we can also have anger towards unbelievers, political parties, ideologies, religious systems. And if we harbor anger like I had within my heart or resentment towards them, not so much the ideology, yeah, you can dislike and hate the ideology, but you can't hate the person who holds the ideology or is of the religion. We're called to embrace them and love them and reach out to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the situation Peter and John are in. The Sanhedrin is coming against the church. Persecution is beginning. And as a result, because they will not obey what they're saying, the Sanhedrin scourges them. And then that brings us to our text of scripture this morning in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. And this prayer is such a powerful prayer. I don't know what the headline in your Bible says, but it says the believer's prayer for boldness. I believe this is a wonderful prayer to pray each and every day. You know the wonderful thing about praying scripture? Is that when you pray the word of God, you're praying the will of God. That's why the Psalms are such a great book of prayer, and that's what they are. They're a gathering of prayers to pray. And so when we pray the word, we know we're praying in the will of God. And another thing about being a Pentecostal people is that when we pray in the Holy Spirit, we pray in other tongues, either verbally or mentally, as the Holy Spirit enables us, we're praying in the mind and the will of God. So we have two fail-safe ways to know that we're praying what God would have us to pray. And it says here, Beginning at verse 23 in chapter 4, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So the entire church knows the situation they're in. The whole church knows that now the religious authorities, as well as the Roman government, is against them. But does it put them in a posture of defensiveness? No. As we're going to see in this prayer, it puts them into the mode of being Offensive, not offending, but the offensive to further the kingdom of God. And so, as it says here, beginning at verse 24, what did they do? Did they begin wringing their hands and begin worrying? No, in verse 24, it says, When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our Father, your servant, David said, by the Holy Spirit. And then they pray Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed. And so they, just as I said to you, they go to the scriptures and they pray Psalm 2. The first messianic psalm, the first prophetic psalm about Jesus. They pray the word of God back to God. 
But what's powerful here is that they gathered together for prayer. I love spiritual formation. I'm a certified spiritual director. I love doing spiritual direction with people, particularly people in vocational ministry. And I love to see the Holy Spirit moving and working in their life. And so the dynamics of individual prayer or praying with a couple other people is very powerful and meaningful. But I believe it's even more powerful when the body of Christ gathers corporately for prayer and we pray in unison about one thing or two things. And there's a key word here that's vitally important because what happens in this text of scripture is that you see it begin with this introspection. Before they begin to pray for the world, they begin to pray about their own condition, where they are. And where it says that they prayed together in verse, verse 24, it says they lifted their voices together to God and said. That word together happens again and again in the book of Acts. And it's usually in the context of prayer. And the word together there means it's a literal musical term. It's a literal musical term that means harmony. So it just doesn't merely mean together, like we're together as a number of people at New Heights Church this morning. It means that we are together in harmonious fellowship with one another. So what does that say to us? I think the condition of our heart is really important when we go to prayer. And Jesus provides a way for us to get our heart right. You know, in Acts chapter 2, or Acts chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 5, uh, there's the outlet. If we have sinned against someone, for us to then realize if we recognize, yes, I sinned against this sister or this brother, that we are to even leave the place of prayer and go to them and make it right. When we first started pastoring in the city of Chicago, we had just started the church that we had planted. My wife, Linda, was really, really pregnant with our first child, Kara, about eight months. My wife is petite, and Kara ended up weighing 913. So... <laughs> Uh, she had a lot of baby inside of her. And Tuesday was trash day in Chicago. You always wanted to take your trash out to the alley so the streets and sanitation could pick it up. So I was getting ready to go into the guest room, which was going to be the baby's room, and have my devotional time as God's man, as this great church planter on the southwest side of Chicago. And so as I start to go into the room, Linda says, oh, don't forget it's trash day. Are you going to take the trash out? I said, no, no, Linda, not now. And also inside I'm feeling, don't bother me. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to be reading scripture. I'm going to be seeking God. We're planning a church. I mean, take out the trash. You know, like, I'll get to it later. And she said, okay. For those who know Linda, she's very, yeah, problem. So I go into that room. I shut the door. And I get down on my knees beside the bed. And I start to pray. And all of a sudden, if I've ever heard the voice of God audibly, <laughs> it was at that moment. And God said to me, take out the trash. I'm not kidding. I mean, if anybody ever says, hey, Mark, have you ever actually heard the audible voice of God? I would say, yes, I have. Well, what did he say to you? He said, take out the trash. 
And those words have reoccurred in my heart and mind throughout my life the last 38 years and so since I first heard him say that. And so I got up, I opened the door, I went up, I started gathering the trash. Linda was in the kitchen. She said, what are you doing? She said, I said, I'm going to take out the trash. She goes, I thought you were going to do it later. I said, nope, I got to do it right now. <laughs> right now. Matthew 5, how do you get right? Then there's Matthew 18, where somebody sins against us. And scripture says that we're to go to them one-on-one. -on -one. Not tell a bunch of people about it. Don't run to pastor. Don't run to a best family member. But we're to go to them one-on-one, -on -one, then one-on-two. And then we take it to the church. But the whole idea, Jesus knows us. And he knows how we are wired and how we know. We recognize by our conscience and by the word of God when we need to ask someone to forgive us. And there's nothing more freeing than to ask someone to forgive us when we've wronged them. And then there's Matthew 18, when we've been wrong, there's a process to follow. And Jesus talks about this. So he is saying that here's how you get it right so that you can pray together in harmony. And, th and then they pray this prayer, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth see and everything in them. And then they go into Psalm chapter 2. They recognize the sovereignty of God. That in the midst of their lives, though persecution is coming, that God is sovereign. And here's where we need to be good Presbyterians, because they're big into the sovereignty of God. We need to be Presbycostals in this area. And that is we trust in the sovereignty of God that he is in absolute control of our lives. And no matter what you're going through this morning, no matter what the challenge is in your body, in your mind, in your spirit, in your family, in your community, understand God is sovereign. And as a kingdom people, we live as kingdom citizens where we bring that sense of assuredness and sovereignty even into this world because we're kingdom citizens. We're a community of priests. And the word priest means bridge. We're a bridge to this world so people can have our prayers issued forth for them so that we can be going across that bridge into the lives of our communities and the lives of people that we are in touch with every day. And then as we're going to see, we are also prophets, where we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is the mindset that the early church has here. Sovereign Lord, you made it all. And then you said through the mouth of your servant David, this messianic psalm that they realized was a fulfillment of the person and work of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to read all of that psalm. Because it says that the nations, the unbelieving, are called to kiss the Son. What does that mean? It means to bow and to kiss his feet. The feet of Jesus. So they know their position. They know their proclamation. And then it goes on because they understand the sovereignty of God being in control. In verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, from Psalm 2, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, both the religious authorities and the governmental authorities, the Jewish world and the Gentile world. That's what's being said here. Along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand, listen to this, and your plan had predestined to take place. God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, should he tarry, understand God holds your future in his hands and that future is good.
Does it mean you're not going to have any problems? Absolutely not. We all have our difficulties and problems. But it means he goes through those with us. And especially in an evangelistic way, in a making disciples kind of way, we know that he desires not one soul should perish, but that all, all should have eternal life. There are no exceptions. We do not believe, as some do, that God will some for heaven and God will some for hell. We believe that he died for all, and all means all. My own father, who had an aneurysm, didn't know the Lord for 88 years. He accepted him three days before his death. And I kept saying to him about the thief on the cross, all you have to do, Dad, is to believe. And eventually he did. And entered into the presence of Jesus when he breathed his last. That's God's will for all. For Buddhists, for Hindus, for Muslims, for secular humanists. Even for Democrats. I'm an independent, so, you know, I'm safe. My point is this. Is that we're harboring anything against a person made in the image of God, it is not of God. God's most greatest desire is that all should come to believe on him. And he is in absolute control. And that's what this early church recognized, that he was in absolute control. And then with this sense of the sovereignty of God, they then launch into this prayer that looks to the world. They've done this introspection in the beginning of this prayer. Like if we pray this prayer, and I encourage you this week, your homework assignment (laughs) is to pray Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. And to pray through first doing this introspection. You know, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 139. And at one point it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked or offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So to have that time when the searchlight of the Holy Spirit just beams down on our hearts and looks at every nook and cranny and for us just to say, Jesus, I welcome you into this sin and I release it to you. I ask for your forgiveness. So that introspection gets us right so that we can we come together and we pray. That's especially important for Sunday morning as we gather as the body of Christ. We just took communion this morning, and Paul exhorts us to examine ourselves, lest we partake of the body and the blood of the Lord in an unworthy manner. So it's almost like a communion time of introspection every day. Because we want to go out pure. We want to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that leads us to verse 29. And that's exactly what they pray. And they say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with great boldness. That doesn't mean standing and grabbing people by the collar and shaking them and asking them, do you know Jesus? But it means in whatever context we're in as the people of God. They we make the most of every opportunity to tell someone about Jesus. I remember when we were starting Teen Challenge, I had to see it through the government of Pakistan, the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, to start a Jesus-centered drug rehab work. And so one day I was called into the Ministry of Anti-Narcotics. 
And I went to the top floor, and anytime you went to the top floor of a Pakistani government building, you were going to meet with a head honcho. And sure enough, I'm meeting with the minister of anti-narcotics. This guy was on the cabinet of the prime minister, so to speak. And so I go and I sit down. He's very gracious, and those kinds of guys always have desks that are the size of an aircraft carrier, and you always feel like your head's just popping over the top of it as they're talking to you. And so he said, Dr. Mark, it's wonderful to have you in Pakistan, but I have some questions for you. And I said, uh, well, what would those be? He said, well, he goes, first of all, I have a question about this teen challenge. What does this word teen mean? Well, if I got into teenager, then he's going to think, oh, this is only for teenagers. When teen, teen challenge, of course, is for any man or woman of any age, really. And so I thought, wait a minute. In Urdu, the language you learned in Pakistan, it's like Hindi in India, the word teen means three. I said, oh, I said, that's easy to answer. The word teen is the word three in Urdu, three challenge. So we challenge the drug addict to be set free in body, mind, and spirit. Never thought of that before. It's funny what God gives you when you really need it. <laughs> and he says, oh, Dr. Mark, this is wonderful. You know, and when a Pakistani does this, you know that you're really hitting the chords, right? <laughs> and, you know, this is wonderful. This is a holistic problem. Is being solved. Yes, these are holistic problems being solved. Because then, Dr. Mark, I have another question. Are you going to proselytize the Muslims that are in your program of Teen Challenge? I said, no, we're not going to proselytize anyone. We're going to evangelize them. He goes, what does this word evangelize mean? I said, it means we're going to share with them the good news about what Jesus can do in their lives and in their spirit. And he says, oh, because Jesus in Islam is the second greatest prophet next to Muhammad. He goes, oh, Dr. Mark, this pro program is so complete. You are doing such a wonderful job. Because <laughs> the proselytizers just switch from one religion to another. No, but we are about sharing the good news of Jesus with other people to make the most of every opportunity. And that is why we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's our purpose in baptizing the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's wonderful to speak in tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. But the purpose, the meaning of it, is to speak the word of God boldly, not merely in our own strength, but in the power that God fills us with by the Holy Spirit that he freely gives. But they don't leave it there. Look at what they pray in verse 30. Help us to preach your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Jesus told us that we would do greater things than him. And he meant that in mass as the body of Christ. And so we as God's people are to be used in the gift of healing and signs and wonders with unbelieving people. I saw Muslims come to Jesus in Pakistan primarily through God intervening in signs and wonders. There's one young man by the name of Noor, and I met him in language school. He was studying English, and we were studying Urdu. And one day, Noor did not show up at school. He was very diligent. And I asked, where's Noor? And they said, well, he was hit on his bicycle coming to the language school today. And he's in the hospital, so I knew which hospital. So I got a Swiss friend of mine who was a Pentecostal. And so we went to visit Noor after school. And as we went into his hospital room, there's this huge ward 
Families were there. That's the way it is in Pakistan. You have to bring the food to the patient. If there's medicine, you get the prescription. You have to go to the store and buy it yourself and bring it back to the hospital. So this ward was packed out. And so the nurse showed us where Nora was. And Nora was laying there on the bed, thrashing back and forth, back and forth. And his family was around him. I said, Nora, this is Mark and Stefan. Stefan was in Switzerland. I said, How, what can we do for you? And Nora and I have been studying the Bible together. We've been studying about not just Jesus' work of salvation through the cross, but also about the healing power of Jesus. And he said to me, Mark, pray that Jesus heals me. I said, all right, Nora, we're going to pray that Jesus heals you. And he spoke English well enough that we were communicating his English. His family really didn't know. And Stefan's a Pentecostal. I'm a Pentecostal. So we lay hands on Nor, and we begin to pray. We begin to pray in tongues. We begin to pray in the Holy Spirit over him. His family just thinks, well, this is just a language that these Americans speak also. And this guy from Switzerland. And as we lay hands and as we pray, he begins to calm down in the bed. He stopped thrashing around. So I had a friend that worked at the Canadian Embassy, and she is a doctor, uh, Dr. Jenny and a really solid, believing Roman Catholic woman, but she didn't believe in the healing power of God. And so I asked her, I said, Dr. Jenny, would you go with me to the hospital to visit Noor? I just want you to check out his chart and just see how he's really doing. So we go there, go to the nurse's station, we go into the same ward, we go to the same bed, and here is this Noor laying there with a sheet over his head. Well, what does that mean in the United States? Kaput, finished, you know. Dead. Well, in Pakistan, when you see somebody like that, it means they want privacy. Just silence. So anyway, we go there, and Dr. Jenny's at the foot of the bed, and she's looking at the chart. And she goes, wow, this is interesting. It says that he has significant thyroid problems. Oh, that's usually the problem of older people in Pakistan. And she reads more, and she goes, oh, he's, he also has severe prostate problems as well. And like, He's 22 years old. You know, what kind of problem could he have? I thought, you know, what's going on here? So I asked the family, I said, may I, may I see? And they said, sure. You know, they, yes. <laughs> so I just pulled the sheet back, and there's like this 55-year-old guy laying there. <laughs> and I went, Mofkijie, <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's get out of here. <laughs> this is not Noor. So I went out to the nurse's station. I said, where's Noor? And she said, oh. We released him yesterday. And Dr. Jenny, he had a concussion. He had a fractured skull. She says, this is medical incompetence. I said, let's, let's, let's just go to his house. So we went to his house, and I knock on his door. And who answers the door but Nor? He invites us in. He doesn't say a word. He goes into the kitchen, and hospitality is great in Pakistan. He brings out us delicious tea and cookies. And he sets it down. He sits down. And he looks at me and he says, Mark, was I healed by the healing power of Jesus you taught me about? I said, yes, Nor, you were healed by Jesus. These truths of boldness in verse 28, these truths of healing in verse 30, Understand, why does God give us this narrative? He gives it to us to read it, to believe on it, and to act on it. It's just not a great story from history. It's an instruction manual. 
And here is a prayer that leads us into how we are to pray. And this is what God is doing today. There's so many more stories I could share with you about the healing power of Jesus. And I love what it says in verse 39 because it ends, excuse me, verse 31. And it ends in this way. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Remember that the infilling of the Holy Spirit of God, as this early church prayer is recorded, speaks to us this morning, is that we are endued with the power of the Holy Spirit, not merely for our devotional times, uh, not merely to pray in the will of God, as I shared earlier, and yes, please do. But it is also a sign to us. It's a call to us. It's a remembrance to us. Just like Holy Communion leads us to remember the broken body of Jesus and for us to examine ourselves. To make sure we're right with God and right with people. Because you can't be right with God if you're not right with people too. But every time we speak in tongues, it's a reminder, you are filled with the Holy Spirit to proclaim Jesus. In Chicago, I'll never forget passing by a Catholic church, and on the sign it said, if ne- preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. St. Francis of Assisi. I did a little research on that. St. Francis never said that. And that's baloney. Preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. There is the dynamic of living the life of Jesus before others, that they see Jesus in us as kingdom citizens. We're to be that bridge, but we're also prophets, and prophets use their mouths. We speak the gospel to other people as well. And this morning, as we come to a conclusion, I want to ask you several things in relation to this text this morning. And it's really twofold because that's where the prayer takes us. There's that dynamic of introspection where we need to ready ourselves. And it means we've got to clean ourselves up on the inside with God and with people. So we can be that early church that is the norm for us, that we are together in harmony. Where people walk into this place and they say, wow, see how they love one another. Man. There is something different about this place. Not that it isn't happening. But the enemy would want to steal that. And he's going to begin with you and he's going to begin with me individually. And then the other dynamic is the external. Are you willing to pray that God would fill you with the Holy Spirit to be emboldened, to proclaim the gospel in love, in compassion, in kindness? When I was president of the seminary, I, I was on vacation in Colorado Springs where my, one of my daughters and her husband lived. And my wife wanted to get her hair done. So we drove by the place when we had, Linda had the appointment and I sat in the car and looked, oh, coffee and books. That was the name of the place, coffee and books. I thought, well, two of my favorite things. And I said, well, I'm going to go there and the salon's here, so this is perfect. Linda comes out, says, 
they have the appointment wrong. Uh, they say it's for tomorrow. So can we come back tomorrow? I said, we're on vacation. It doesn't matter. Sure, let's do it. So we come back the next day. I get my computer. I go into the coffee shop. And I sit down, get the password, get my coffee, I'm drinking my coffee, get up to use the restroom, go up to the door of the restroom, and it says, this restroom is for everybody. And I said, well, that solves the problem. So I go in, come out, I sit down, and then I spill a little coffee in my hands, so eventually I get up, and I thought to myself, you know what, I'm, I, I've been the only man in this coffee shop for over an hour now. I wonder if I'm in a lesbian coffee shop. And I went into the restroom again, and as I was walking into the restroom, these two women were working on this chalkboard, and I saw they were drawing rainbow ribbons on each corner. And I thought, I think this is a lesbian coffee shop. And as I go into the restroom, I look in the mirror, and the Holy Spirit says, did you see those four women as you walked in? And there were three women sitting at a coffee bar and the barista. And I thought, yes. He said, I want you to go up to them, and I want you to say, excuse me, ladies, I'm the president of a theologically conservative seminary in Springfield, Missouri. Is this a lesbian coffee shop? I'm like, you know, our house was five blocks from where the Taliban embassy was in Pakistan. So I've been around the Taliban, guys with belts of ammunition, AK-47s. I've been in some hairy, hairy places and situations, but I never felt more intimidated in my life than the Holy Spirit leading me to go out to talk to these four women. It's like, no, I don't want to. And it's like, oh, I have no choice. I do have a choice, but I, if I do what I want to do, it's going to be the wrong choice of not saying anything to them. So I'm going to go to them and I'm going to just say what the Lord said and just kind of Take the deck of cards and let it fly in the air and see how he sovereignly puts it all back together again. So I go out there and I said, uh, excuse me, ladies, can I ask you a question? Uh, I said, I'm the president of a theologically, oh, I said, is this, first of all, I said, is this a lesbian coffee shop? And they started laughing. I'm like, oh, this is a bad way to begin. <laughs> and they said, yes and no, it's, it's a coffee shop for the LBGTQ community. Okay, um, so uh, I said, I was just wondering, because I'm the only man that's been in there for the last hour. I said, um, let me ask you another question. I, I said, I'm a theological conservative, and I'm the president of a theologically conservative seminary in Springfield, Missouri. If you could say anything to someone like me that you would want to say, what would you say to me? And one woman who had a Catholic background, the barista, one woman was a screenwriter, and she had a Presbyterian background. And then the two other women were atheists who were in the military. And one of the women in the military started, and she was so articulate. I said, excuse me, do you mind if I record our conversation? Because I want to remember everything you said. They said yes. So I recorded it. They spoke for an hour, and I listened to them. And I said to them, you know, I don't agree with your lifestyle, and I don't agree with gay marriage. But let me ask you this. I'm just visiting Colorado Springs. If I lived here and I wanted to come to this coffee shop as a heterosexual, as a, as a person who isn't gay, would I be welcome here? Could I come into this place and could I love you with the love of Jesus? The woman with the Presbyterian background and the Catholic background, they said, 
Yes. And then the two women that were in the army that were atheists said, if we say no, then we will be saying to you what we believe Christians would say to us. So yes. And so I said, you know, I do love you, and I love you the love of Jesus, though we disagree. I don't want to call you, and there's much more to it. I want to call you to search into the claims of Jesus Christ and to come to know him as your Savior and Lord. And at the end, they all said, you know, God brought you here today to us. They said it. Not me. They said it. That's just the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so God wants to do it. It's not because I'm a missionary and a pastor. Or no, no. Those are just things God's led into. Just doing what God's called me to do. What's God calling you to do? And so with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want you to respond to this this morning uh, in these ways that I'm going to share with you. First of all, as we wrap this up and pastor comes, I want you to look within yourself. Is there anything within, anything within that you need to confess and repent? Matthew 5, is there someone that you know you've offended? Could be your spouse, your children, your parents, someone in your family, I don't know. Someone in your community, I don't know. Someone in this church sitting here this morning, that after this service you need to say, I'm sorry. And with no buts, just I'm sorry and then forgive me. Is there anyone here that has to practice Matthew 18 where you need to forgive someone? And, and how does this plan to reaching the world? Friends, if we're not together in harmony, if we don't have that dynamic as the body of Christ, then God's going to be bringing people into an unhealthy body. And God doesn't do that. He's a good steward of the lost. So we need to be right as the body of Christ. And, and so this morning I'm going to ask you, just ask you, if you need to repent in one of those two ways where you need to go to someone and ask for forgiveness or you need to go to someone and talk to them about how they've offended you, I just want you to stand up right now. Just stand up where you are. Don't hesitate. No one's judging. You're just standing up before God. Just go ahead and stand up where you are. If you need to ask someone for forgiveness, yes, thank you for your boldness. Go ahead. Just go ahead and stand up. If there's someone that you need to ask to forgive, you need to ask to forgive you for something. Just go ahead and stand. Or someone that you need to forgive. Please, go ahead. Don't be hesitant. This is between you and you. took communion this morning. This is important stuff. This is not games. If you know that you should stand and you're not standing, you don't want to partake of the body and blood in an unworthy manner. You can't play games with Holy Communion. It's just not symbolic. It represents Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. I want to pray for you right now. Just stand and keep standing as I pray if you need to stand. And, and kudos to you that are standing. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for these women and men that are standing. And I pray that immediately after this service that they, if they have offended someone, they will go to that person. If that person's here, do it. If it's a person that's in another state, Get on the phone and call, but don't merely text. Lord, I pray that you will resolve and bring healing and harmony in that relationship. If they are a person that's been offended, I pray that you would give them a sense of love and burden and compassion to go to the person that's offended them and to just simply share and to say, here's what happened, and I'm, and I'm sorry that it happened, but I need to forgive you for it happening. Let them do that so that there will be the harmony in this body of believers that will truly foster the words when people come, see how they love one another. 
because this place exudes with the harmonious presence and power of people living together in Jesus. So we give you thanks, Father, for those that have stood this morning and who have continued to stand. Bless them now and lead them into that freedom in Jesus' name. You may be seated. And now I want to address those that this text calls us not only to look within continually and have our hearts right, but it calls us to be bold in our witness. It calls us to lay hands upon the sick, to believe God for signs, wonders, and miracles. Believe me, in this world, there's nothing wrong with science because all truth is God's truth. But science isn't the answer. God created science. But this world needs the truth of the gospel proclaimed, and it needs the gospel manifested in signs, wonders, and miracles. And I just want to ask you, if you'll just say yes to Jesus, yes, I'll pray this prayer, Mark. I'll pray along with you as you pray this prayer, that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit and with boldness to proclaim Jesus to other people that are in my life. And I will pray for people to, if they have something in their life that I can lay hands upon them and pray in the name of Jesus for signs, wonders, and miracles that take place, that I will do that as well in the fulfillment of this scripture because the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. If you'll say yes to Jesus, I want to be used in boldly proclaiming. I want to be used with Jesus and signs, wonders, and miracles. I want you to stand right now in Jesus' name to commit yourself to that task. Stand right now where you are to commit yourself to that task. And I'm going to pray for you. Just continue. Mean it. Mean it. Don't do it just because it sounds like the right thing to do. Do it because you mean it. You mean it before Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wow. Wow. This church is going to explode if everybody means it. It's going to have multiple services because you mean it. You're going out there to be salt and light. You're going out there to demonstrate the kingdom of God as priests and as prophets to proclaim the good news of Jesus with signs and wonders following. I'm going to pray for you to that end. Father, in the name of Jesus, you see this mass of people that's responding to the truth of your word. And Father, I pray that they will pray this believer's prayer, that they will search their hearts, and then to proclaim, God, use me to further your kingdom as a herald of your truth. Give me a holy boldness in the marketplace. Give me a holy boldness with my neighbors. Give me a holy boldness with my family. And we know that it doesn't mean we run people over with the gospel, but we infuse the truth of Jesus and the good news of the gospel every opportunity that we get, and we're aware of that by the Holy Spirit, even if it's walking in the midst of a lesbian coffee shop and we don't even know it. And Lord, I pray that you will grant them the gifts of your grace, grant them with gifts of healing, signs, and wonders, and miracles as they're done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Lord, let us be truly Pentecostal, which simply means we are harvesters. And the twofold harvest is proclamation and signs, wonders, and miracles following. This is normative in the book of Acts. This is an instruction manual as to how we're to live and move and have our being. Let it come to pass in and through our lives, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.